So if you have or maybe even haven't been able to be tracking with us for a little while, uh, we've been doing a series about who is Jesus. It's, it's really one of the most basic questions that you can ever ask, but the answer to it will change your life. Who is Jesus? Uh, in week number one, we talked about all the, the opinions that people have about who Jesus is. Maybe a great teacher or a prophet or maybe even a myth to some people. But then we started to say that over the course of this series that we want to find out who Jesus is in his own words. In his own words. And that there are seven sayings of Jesus that are found in the Bible. And I think mostly or all in the Gospel of John. Where Jesus says who he is. And he begins with these two words, I am. Now, I want to remind you each time that Jesus says these two words, I am, he is reminding us of a story in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. It's about the calling of one of the most famous leaders in the whole Bible. It's the calling of Moses. And in Exodus chapter 3, we get the story of God saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh because I've got a big plan for my people. I want to set them free from slavery. And we're going to use you to do it. And Moses protests. And one of his protests is like, well, how are they going to know that I know you, God? Like, what's the secret handshake here? Or what's the secret sign to be able to tell them that, hey, listen, I really do represent you. And then Moses says, well, if I could just give them your name. I mean your real name. Because they had a lot of names for God that they called God, depending on whether he was providing for them or because of his holiness or because of his power. There were different names for God. But would you tell me what your real name is, God? And here's what it says. What is it? When they say, what is your name? And God answered in verse 14 of Exodus 3. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And so you can start to see that when Jesus uses this to describe and answer the question who he is, he is making a huge, monumental, universe-shattering, like this is an earthquake in history. He is making a claim about himself that he is actually God. Now today, we're going to take a look last week uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as the bread of life. You see the loaf there, the top left-hand corner. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the light of the world and how he's the light in your darkness. Now today, we're going to look right to the left of the I am statement. You'll see a door. We're going to look at a statement of Jesus where he claims to be the door. But I want to set this up by, by telling you that this passage doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens after John chapter 9, where Jesus is just giving sight to a man who was born blind. And that has blown everybody away. And it, it's begun a conversation where Jesus is answering who he is. And then they start to say, well, what basis upon which do you make those claims? And people weren't believing him. But more than that, they weren't understanding him. So Jesus uses this image, one of the most common images of his day, of a common job and a common sight in their days, of a shepherd and sheep. Now, there are, there are a long line of famous shepherds in the Bible, right? Uh, there's Abraham was a shepherd. He had flocks, right? Moses was a shepherd. 
who we just talked about. King David, you know, he was the shepherd king. He was a shepherd too. But there's one shepherd in the Bible that's the most famous of all. You want to know who that shepherd is? It's God, right? Think about Psalm 23. What does God say? The, the, well, what does David say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. He'll take care of my needs, right? God is the most famous shepherd anywhere. So when Jesus is using this example, he's leaning upon all of the weight of all of, of this good news about how important shepherds are. So let's read what he says. In John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Or if your Bible app's on your phone, you do that too. John chapter 10, verses 7 to 9. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So Jesus is saying that he is the door. He's saying, I am the door. Now, another word for that is gate. And some of your translations will have that. That's perfectly fine. It's the same word. Door, gate, right? That is who Jesus is. But I want to ask this morning, how is Jesus the door? How is Jesus the gate to you? into this world. Well, uh, the, the, the first thing I want you to know is that, uh, you know, the shepherds in Israel, right? Like, this was a common, common sight. Uh, oh, no, let me talk about doors for a second. <laughs> when Jesus says, I am the door, doors are really common, right? We just sort of take them for granted. How many doors did you go through this morning, right? Think about it. Well, it'd probably be the door to your bathroom, the door to your bedroom. Uh, Maybe there was a door to your kitchen. Uh, There's definitely a door to outside. Maybe you were through a garage and there was a garage door there. Uh, I I know for me, I came in through this door and then that door and the door to my office. And then I forgot something. I went to another office, another door. Went back in my office, another door. Like, they start to add up, right? You go through a lot of doors in your life. What, what What does that mean? And so when Jesus says that he is the door, well, again, he uses this very common image of shepherds and sheep. Now, I, I would almost dare you to be able to find this scene in North America. This would be rare if, I mean, you'd never see this in North. People don't walk their sheep around anymore, right? It doesn't happen. But I, I do know someone that, that has a sheep farm, right? You know, Renchen, who was, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, he was here sharing a little bit of his story and testimony. His parents have a sheep farm. Uh, so stay tuned to this, because I think when we do, um, in a couple of months, we're going to come back to this series. We're going to talk about the Good Shepherd. I think Corey is going to go on a little field trip with a video camera to the sheep farm, and we'll see what kind of trouble that he can get into, okay? We'll see how that's going to work. So come back for that, right? Uh, but this is a scene that you would not see very often here, but in Jesus' day, this was common. This was all over the place. You would see people walking their sheep around. Uh, one of the things that maybe we haven't seen a whole lot is this is, uh, this is the idea of what a sheep pen would have looked like back in Jesus' day. So what would happen is during the day, the sheep would go out and they would feed in pastures. They'd wander around. The shepherd would watch them and make sure they didn't you know, fall over some precipice somewhere that the sheep weren't in trouble, that they weren't in danger. And then 
in the nighttime, the shepherd would lead them back into the sheep pen. And uh, sometimes there'd be more than, you know, one, uh, uh, one flock there. But he'd, he'd lead them into the sheep pen. And you'll notice here, there's no, like, door or gate on that. And that's not because it didn't rust away. It's because the shepherd, we're told, was the gate to the sheep. So the shepherd would lay across the entrance or sit there and would make sure that the sheep were safe, that nothing got in the sheep pen that was dangerous or nobody came in to steal the sheep. And so I think that 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 gives us a little bit of a picture in a day where we don't see many sheep or sheep pens around, what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, I am that gate to get in and out of safety and good pasture. And, uh, and, and so, of course, anything that would have climbed over that wall in the middle of the night is danger, right? So anybody or anything climbing over, that was something to be protected from. And so Jesus is using this image about life. He's saying, I am the door to your life. I'm the door to the kingdom of God. And uh, I think, first of all, to me, what it means that Jesus is the door is first of all, is that Jesus is the door to changing your past. Uh, there's a, a very deep theological movie uh, that was released quite a few, uh, a few decades ago. Uh, it's called The Lion King. And you'll see here the scene. This is the scene where Simba and his friends are singing, you know, the famous Hakuna Matata, right? And which is about, don't worry about stuff. Take life as it comes. Relax. Don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff, right? And a famous, famous song in that story. But if you know the story well, you'll know this is really just a lie. It's fake. And they can try to relax and not worry about anything. But Simba, the lion in this picture, is living a lie. He is not who he was born to be. He was born to be king. He was born for a big purpose. And somewhere along the line, and you know the story probably as well as I do, that he was knocked off course and he was told that he wasn't who he was born to be. But it was a lie. And, and so this, the story of the Lion King is about Simba realizing that this is not who I am. I'm living a lie. And connecting with who he really was made to be. And, and so that's where the story is a lot like what God does in your life and mine. See, he takes your past and he changes you. He puts the past behind you so that you can become who you were made to be. There are all sorts of things in your past that will drag you down. And Jesus shuts the door to those old things in your past, the sin and the shame and the habits that are self-destructive. And he says, no, that's not who you were made to be. You were made for something more. You were born for something greater. And Jesus is the door to saying, the past is the past. Now I want to be who God has made me to be. And I'm praying that that's who God is for you. There's, a, there's an old word for that in the, in the Bible. It's called being justified. So God takes all of your sin, all of your wrong, all of the, the, the garbage in your past, and he says, if you would give it to me, because he died for you on the cross, if you would let it hang with me there on the cross, if you would let me put it to death, the past will be the past, 
and it will cling to you no more. And Jesus is the door to that. He's the only one. God made flesh who died on the cross to carry your sin and your shame and to erase the debt of the past. Great news, right? Great news. Jesus is the door to that. Uh, but Jesus is also the door to changing your present. I don't know about you, but there's stuff in my life that, that God's working on me right now. And I hope that I know that's true of you, right? What is God changing in you right now? The Bible calls that process being sanctified. It means more and more of my life is being dedicated more and more to God. That's basically what it means. So what is God working on you right now? What is the habit that needs to be changed? What is the pattern of thinking that needs to be changed in your life right now? Jesus is the door to that change. Because there are a lot of voices in your head and probably from your past saying, no, 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 that's not who, this is who you are. They're weighing you down. They're telling you who you should be. They're telling you that, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're telling you that you should be their way. But Jesus is the one saying, no, I set you free from all of that. I want to set you free from the garbage of those habits right now. And so he starts working on you through his Holy Spirit, purifying you, changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your actions. Jesus is the door to that, changing your present. And then Jesus is the door. You got it. I mean, you could guess this last one, right? He's the door to changing your past and to your present, and he's the door to changing your future. And this is what I really want to, to focus on now for the next few minutes, that the life, this little life that you have right now, the 30 or the 40 or the 50 or the 80 years or the 90 years that God gives you is really short. And God made you for more than this, just this little time on earth. And Jesus died and was resurrected to show you that there's way more than that. Every single one of you has an appointment someday. It's an appointment with death. You can't avoid it. Uh, we hope we can delay it, but I'm not even, you know, terribly confident of that, right? I know a lot of you have said to me, well, my day is my day, and when it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, I don't understand all the mysteries around that, but I, I know this. We all have an appointment, and you can't escape it. So one of the deep, deep questions that, that's resulted in fear for a lot of people, what's waiting for me on the other side? And a lot of us have, you know, this, there have been a lot of jokes made about it that somehow that when we die, we stand before the pearly gates and St. Peter is there in front and basically saying, well, you know, what, what are you going to say? Why should I let you in? Sort of thing. That's not how it goes, of course, at all. That's just one of our pictures, right? There is a door, though there is a gate. And that gate isn't pearly and it ain't St. Peter. It's Jesus and so one of the greatest questions is, okay, when, when you get to that point after you die, what are you going to say? What's the basis upon which you're going to enter into eternal life? Do you know? And do you have a sense of, of assurance that you're going to enter in through that gate or that you have already? Well, like I said, doors are everywhere, right? Aren't they? Uh, and let's think about a couple of different doors for a moment. Because God wants you to step through this door that he's talking about, this gate, who is Jesus. Uh, here's, a, here's a door. 
apparently this is a door to Fort Knox. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt that this door was made to keep people out, wasn't it? It's big, it is intimidating, right? You walk up to a door like this and you turn right around again saying, I ain't getting in there, right? And then other doors, you might see something like a welcome mat there and uh, saying, oh, you know, like uh, maybe it looks warm and inviting. It's like, oh, I'm welcome in this place. The door invites you to open it. The door invites you to come inside. Uh, sometimes at our place, uh, when I know somebody's coming or I, I want to make sure people know that it's good and safe to come inside, I just open the, the inside door. So it's just this little screen door. They can see inside. It's just a little light door. It's like, come on in, right? A lot of people, and I don't know if, uh, if you're this way or not, but when they look at God and when they think about God, they often think, they, look, they, they see a locked door. They see a big door. They say, oh, you know, God, you wouldn't want me. You know me. You know my past. You know what I'm like. God, you know I'm a failure. And so they, they walk up to the door and they just imagine, because that's what it is, they imagine that the door is locked and God doesn't want you to come into this new life, this, this beautiful life that he has for you. And some people, maybe it's the way they were taught. Uh, you know, maybe they just somehow turned away from a, a thought. Somebody gave them an image of just an angry God who wasn't loving. And somehow they think, oh, you know, because of their doubt or because of something they heard about God, God, it's a locked door. They're, I'm not getting through that door. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus came to show us that he is God. And I don't think there's any doubt when you look at the life of Jesus that it is a door that is open that Jesus wants you to walk through come on in Jesus said didn't he live that way right to anybody to the prostitute come on inside the kingdom of God it's great in here you'll be forgiven you'll get a new life to the lepers who nobody would touch and who lived as outcasts he'd say come on in there's hugs for you in the kingdom of God there's love and there's healing in here for you. Everywhere that Jesus went, it was like he was saying, the door to the Father is me and it's a wide open door. Come on in. Step through the door. Every single one of you need to step through the door. It's no use waiting on the outside where, where it's cold and where, where, where there, there's doubt and where, there's for, uh, uh, where you doubt you're forgiven and you feel rejected. That's on the outside. Jesus says, come on in. Come on inside. Jesus is our access point to the Father. How can I be right with God? How can I enter into this eternal life? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus, uh, Jesus basically said, someone was said of Jesus, he's the stairway to heaven, right? He's the stairway to heaven. He's the access point. And, and one of the ways that we know this is when Jesus died, when he was crucified on the cross, it's said that the moment that he was crucified, the moment that he died, something amazing happened. That there was this huge curtain, there was this huge barrier in the temple that divided the rest of the temple off from the holiest of holies. That place where God was meant to reside. 
separated from everyone. Only one person could go in once a year, only under certain conditions. That's the locked door that I'm talking about, that they believed God was. And it is said when Jesus died that that humongous curtain ripped in half from top to bottom, forever saying, come on in. I want you in my kingdom. I want you forgiven in here. I want you loved in here. I want you serving me in here. Isn't this great news? So step through the door. Step through the door. And when you do that, stay inside. Stay in. Because it's safe in there. Jesus wants to keep you safe, right? That, that's what doors do. Um, uh, you know, uh, my front door, I just imagined for a little while, what would happen if I didn't have a front door? If I left my front door open? And, uh, you know, something would be good. You know, you're my friends. I love you guys. If you came in, in and out of my door, I'd be totally happy. But I have this sneaking suspicion that uh, a lot of unwanted things would come through my open door, right? Uh, often of the four-legged variety. I can just picture that there'd be, you know, some little furry friends that would make their abode in my home. Uh, some maybe bigger furry friends. I could see a raccoon maybe taken up in there. Maybe some squirrels. Foxes probably like it inside my house too, right? If there was no door to stop them from coming in. A skunk? Oh, that's, that'd be the word. That's, that's what I should have thought of, Gail. You're right on. Absolutely. Skunk would... <laughs> wouldn't that be hilarious? Okay, uh, but my door protects me from that. And so Jesus is that door, that gate. Remember we talked about the sheep pen at the beginning? There are all sorts of dangerous things out there. Jesus protects us from those. The first thing that Jesus protects us from is the enemy. The Bible says that the accuser is out there and he's like a roaring lion. He's prowling around trying to find victims. Trying to, trying to tell you that you're not loved by God. That there is no hope. That the past is the past and you cannot change it. You can't escape from it. All lies. Trying to trip you up. Trying to lead you into temptation. Trying to, trying to destroy your credibility, your witness, and your authenticity and all these things. And Jesus keeps you safe from that. Everything about Jesus keeps you safe from the enemy's attacks. Jesus keeps you safe from yourself. You ever heard the phrase, uh, who's your own worst enemy? You. You're your own worst enemy. Maybe you've even said that to somebody before, right? It's true, isn't it? My life is full of mistakes and lapses in judgment and errors in relationships Errors in uh, just in my work and errors in my personal life. Like that, my life is full of that. I'm sure yours is too. Jesus is the one that keeps me on the straight and narrow. Because if I was going to live my way, my life would be full of all the stuff that I would regret. But following Jesus puts me on a different path. Where it's not like I'm proud of all the things that I do. But I'm grateful for all of the stupid things that I didn't do because Jesus was telling me, no, don't do that. Jesus keeps me safe from myself. And then Jesus keeps you safe from death. Like I say, every single one of you has an appointment with death. And uh, we used to send people around our community uh, door to door asking people to fill out a survey. And the survey said, well, okay, you know, when you get to, the, when you get to heaven's gates, what are you going to say to God so that he lets you in? 
And just to get people thinking about that, right? But every single one of us have an appointment with death. And so what is it that is going to keep you safe in that moment? And the Bible says it's Jesus. He is the door. And we're going to look at that more closely when uh, Jesus says that he's the resurrection and the life. But there's one more step that I think you and I need to take when it comes to knowing that Jesus is the door. Step through the door, by all means. Believe in Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Uh, Follow him to keep you safe from all of the dangers that are out there. But uh, a few years ago, I was really convicted, just even through a reading, about that how if Jesus is the door, then you and I have one of the most important callings in all of history and that is to stand by the door and show people where the door is right and, and there is a there's an old poem by a pastor uh, who had said inspired uh, bill from alcoholics anonymous he said that everything that is in the the 12 steps sam schumacher preached and uh there's a poem that he, that he wrote that I think really encapsulates this. I'd like to read that for you. It's not a short poem, but I think it really captures. I know it's inspired me to stay by the door who's Jesus and point people to him. It says this, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many people are still outside and they, as much as I crave to know where the door is, all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any one of us can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to the person's own touch. People die outside the door. As starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in it and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars, way up to the spacious attics. It is a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements, of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and the heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture a little farther. But my place seems more toward the opening. So I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get part way in and become afraid lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is very great and asks all of us. 
And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And people way inside only terrify them even more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they're spoiled for the old life, that they've seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must watch for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in don't see how near these people are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who've entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I will take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he's there, but not so far from people as not to hear them and remember that they're there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more importantly for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch so I stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper so I stand by the door. You know, I believe that there is much, much wisdom in that. But the heart of it all is this. Jesus is the door to life with God. There's no other. And so your task in this world is to help people find the latch that only they can open and open that door into eternal life. I, I want don't be don't let it be lost on you, the good news. Jesus said this: if you enter in through the gate, through the door, you'll be saved. One of the most beautiful, extravagant words in all of the Bible. It means so much. I, I mean, I'd be here forever telling you what it meant that you are saved by Jesus. But here are just even some of the things that it means. It means that you're healed. It means that you're delivered. It means that you're ransomed. It means that you're resurrected to new life. It means that you are justified, like we talked about earlier. It means you're united with Jesus. It means you're adopted into his family. It means that you're chosen by God. It means that you are reconciled to God. It means now that you belong to God because you're a citizen of heaven. This is the best news ever. I, like, I'm glad for the door. I... I worship the door, who's Jesus, because this is ours through him. Walk through the door. Enter through the door. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this, uh, what we believe to be most important, encouraging news on the planet, that you are the door to life. And I thank you for opening our eyes, for peeling the scales away from our eyes, thinking that that either that there was some other door to get in or that we weren't able to find the door in the first place. And I thank you, Jesus, that you've led us to you. You are our hope. You are our life. You are our salvation. You are our forgiveness. You are everything. Just like your word says, you are the author and perfecter, the author and finisher, the alpha and the omega of our faith. You're the beginning and the end, Jesus. You are the door. 
And we wanted to say thank you now for that in Jesus' name. Amen.